have a, a really interesting guest this morning that I reached out to because I am a, just an unabashed dog lover. So I reached out to the executive director of the United States uh, Police Canine Association, and he was kind enough to spend some time with us today. Don Slavic, welcome to the program. Hi, Betsy. How are you? So, Don, you guys are celebrating your 50th anniversary as an association. That's extraordinary. Talk about that. That is correct. Uh, the end of next month, we will be we will have been in existence for 50 years. Um, it is uh, probably the first organization that started in the United States, and uh, it's it started between people from the Upper East Coast uh, and people in Florida, and they joined together, and that's how we uh, started as an association. Now, Don, you are also a you're a retired police officer. Uh, you're a trainer. You're an expert witness, so you've been involved with police work and police canines for decades, right? Yes, that is correct. I have been over 40 years in canine. So let's talk about the modern police canine now. First of all, it's not just German Shepherds and Malinois, right? And it's not just dogs who uh, protect the handler. Um, canines have so many different uses today, don't they, Don? Yes, they do. I, I think we offer 13 different certifications for uh, dogs and dogs can be, yes, they're, they used to be German Shepherds primarily. And then the uh, Belgian Malinois came in and they, uh, they actually are the number one breed, I think, as far as use for the patrol type dogs, which would be the, the apprehension dogs. Uh, and of course, um, the softer dogs, such as the Labradors, the Golden Retrievers, are those dogs there. They are all over uh, the United States and parts of the world uh, and actually uh, do a very good job in detection work. Now, when we talk about um, your uh, average police department who has a, a canine, what is the expense of bringing in a canine, even one dog? To a police department. Well, it it's it depends on how you um, how you get your dog program started and what you use, which facilities that you use to train your dog. Um, so they since 9/11, there's there are a lot more uh, canine vendors, uh, and there are actually probably less police departments training dogs. Um, so I started with a police department and actually we trained our own dogs. So it was pretty seamless for me, but many people in the area, they, they have to go to uh, a vendor. They go away to a school or they pick an option where they can go after the dog has been trained. And then you spend some time with the dog, learn how the dog works. And then you bring the dog back home. Uh, it can be expensive, um, but most police agencies um, usually have some kind of uh, uh, tax-free or a foundation or something that works for them, and that's how they get the money for the dogs, the horses, and all of those things now. Now, how is the defund the police movement affecting uh, police canines nationwide? <laughs> Well, I think in the beginning, uh, there was some hesitation about how that would affect law enforcement in general, and then, and for us, the canine portion of it, but um, it, that seems to have softened a little bit. Um, the, uh, our, our, both sides are now talking, and they're getting the idea that you can't totally defund 
Um, you can't expect people to come out of their offices and do things on the street, you know, the, uh, you know, with crisis people and things like that, because that takes them out of their element, actually, also. Um, but I think it's it's getting better. I think the, I see the dogs being purchased uh, or, or departments going ahead and, and uh, getting dogs. I think the way we're going to do dogs in the future, the way we handle dogs will change. But um, I don't think the, uh, there is a, a stigma in a, for a lot of people about what happened to them when they were younger or the culture that they came from. And I, I don't think they're wrong in their beliefs as far as back then, but I think dogs have been changing since then and changes will continue. There's no doubt about it. So when you talk about back then, you're, you're talking about uh, like the 1960s and into the early 70s, right? Where yes. dogs were yes. used in crowd control situations and very often they were overused, right? Um, I think they were, they were used at the time in the prescribed way that they thought they should have been. But I remember our department, St. Paul, we quit using dogs for uh, crowd control a long time ago, uh, way long time ago, because it was seen as to be as not being um, the right way to use uh, force. Um, and so that they, they decided to go a different way. And I think that's the key factor in the changes that are you'll see in the future is that uh, police canines um, when they first started for me, it was in 1976, they may have been the tip of the spear, if you will, in searches and things like that, because they didn't have another plan at the time. But now there are so many different ways to uh, gain compliance from someone that the dog has tracked or found um, other than using the dog itself. And I think that's the important things that'll happen. Um, there are other things that, um, that need to, to go along with that also, policies, uh, supervision, uh, and proper training, of course. Well, and so let's talk about, you know, moving forward, what is the modern um, patrol police canine going to look like moving forward? I think you're going to see more and more canines uh, used in the same way, tracking uh, location kind of tools, because that is what they are. That's what they're good, for, they're good at. That's why we use them to begin with. The ability to, to locate scent or odor from illegal drugs, explosives, et cetera. Um, but I think that when they uh, find somebody or they locate somebody, I think there's going to be a different process on how they take control of someone before the dog is going to be used. I think that's going to be a key feature. And are, is that something that your association is um, prescribing, you know, to, to, you, to use the dogs we are, differently? Yes. We are actually uh, have webinars that where we teach the, when the canine program goes wrong in a police department, it's usually a, a one of three or maybe several of three and that's a supervision, the policies are wrong and the training is, is not the correct way. And then we are learning that we, and we started this group in the, in the USPCA short for United States Police Canine Association, but we started a group last year of people from around the United States, uh, different levels within police agencies, all were canine people except for a couple of, uh, except for the attorney. Um, so we discuss laws, we discuss the issues that, that are here today 
and and we put this out in a video and webinars and uh we have another one coming up on Wednesday. It's a supervisory one, what supervisors need to know. So one of the problems I think is that in law enforcement, no one comes into law enforcement with a, a, um, a history of having a dog and a police dog and understanding how it works and how they should run and the, you know how they should be supervised and all of that. And I think that those types of things are what are changing now supervisors are, are being trained to how to deal with the canine problems, issues, deployments, uh, and things like, such as that. Well, and where do, I mean, explain to people, where does that patrol dog fall on the use of force continuum? You know, it, it, <laughs> well, that's something that, people really need to understand. That, that's another problem is that the use of force continuum, as, as we know about it from our past careers, is is they were in the, in, can you be struck with a nightstick? But the use of force law that is currently in is, is not, does not have that use of force continuum. So it's, was it reasonable? And so now what we're seeing is the departments are starting to say, the law, it's okay under this law, but we want to have a little more protection. So they're adding wording to different policies um, to uh, make it more stringent, say, for a canine handler to deploy his dog as a use of force, more things have to be there. Um, it's almost as if we are going to, it's almost as if the current use of force law, uh, U.S. case law, will be part of a use of force policy and not the more controlling part of it. So it's, everything's changing, and that's, that's one of the things that we, we see now um, especially out your way and west, um, the, uh, the 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 chiefs are they want more they want to use the dogs but they're just applying more uh, restrictions to it. How do you think um, if if uh, our legislators are able to get rid of qualified immunity for police officers, how will that affect a canine handler specifically? Um, well, it, it's going to affect all police officers the same. Um, we are actually uh, engaged with some states uh, now to um, help them with that decision if they so de desire, and AKC is actually uh, along with us on that. Um, and I think they're finding out that it's not, it's not, it's not punishing the whole group that needs to happen but they need to take control of the groups that are not um, in the norm, so to speak, you know, that are using the dogs in a bad way. So I think that's what's happening. Now, Don, the, uh, one of the things that the Officer Down Memorial page does, odmp.org, is they memorialize police canines who die in the line of duty. Yes. And, and, uh, and our, you know, we have police dogs uh, almost, you know, almost every week in this country who die in the line of duty, whether they're shot or stabbed or they, uh, they'll die of illness, they'll, they'll die in a hot car, things like that. Um, can you talk about uh, the heroic nature of police canines a little bit? Uh, sure. Um, and I also go to that page and the last time I looked there was five, I think, that were there and, and, and come, I come across my uh, desk has been two or three since then. Um, 
So we've had in St. Paul uh, dogs uh, pass, uh, gunshots um, were, were the reasons and actually traffic and things like that. But they are, there's, there are a group of people that are trying to memorialize the police canine service dogs actually now. They were started out with police canines at the, the police memorial in DC um, where they memorialize the officers, <clears throat> excuse me, that have passed away. Um, it's, it's, I read all these every day coming across and people have, they have um, funerals, they have um, uh, different kinds of things named in the dog's honor and for future things. And, and I mean, it's, it's very passionate to have your dog killed in a line of duty. Um, and it, it hurts because you spend as a lot of time with that dog. Well, and I want to talk about that. A, a lot of police canines, um, I, would get, I would say most live with their handler, don't they? Yes, they do. And in my, in my house, the, we had a kennel outside, but all the dogs lived inside with us, uh, patrol dogs. I had um, some single purpose dogs, a, a narcotics dog, and they all lived inside and trick or treat day, they were at the front door with all the kids sitting there, you know, looking at the kids. Um, and that's, and that is kind of a way of life. There's for us, for me, there was absolutely no aggression allowed by the dog at any case whatsoever at home. And so um, that's, that's something I could always get if I had to, but I never practiced, never allowed it. So that's how I got away from that. Now I've had, cause I supervised uh, my agency's canine unit. And so I, and I, as I travel around training, I meet lots of canine handlers and I know there are different schools of thought on what you just talked about. I, I've met many handlers who, who subscribe to what you talk about, where that dog is a member of the family. It should be friendly. You should be able to take it to a scout meeting. It should sit in roll call, things like that. There's another school of thought who says that these dogs are tools and they shouldn't be petted and they shouldn't be treated like pets and things. Can you explain uh, to our audience those differences and, and what your association believes? So that, that was uh, the same for me when I first started out with my first dog in 76. You know, don't let anybody pet the dog. Don't let anybody uh, feed the dog. Um, don't get, let people get too close. And actually, over time, that has changed because um, through proper training, it's realized quickly on that the dog's selection process is better now so you're picking the dogs that have the right behavioral temperament. Um, in my time, we, all dogs were donated, but uh, that doesn't mean that they were behaviorally challenged or anything. But in, now it's all about the dog being able to be on and off, just like a light switch. And so that's how most police departments handle it. Most agencies, uh, the dogs are running around and actually we would be, I can go out right now just about to anybody that's run, that's practicing with a dog and doing the, the aggression part of it like that. And they can come right over after they've practiced and I can pet that dog just like nothing happened. So it's, it's very, very different. Do the dogs enjoy working, Don? Uh, I think they do because uh, obviously if, if you don't know it, the dogs don't do things because they love us they do things for the rewards that we give them in our detection part of it. Um, they search and search and search because they want the reward that's attached to finding something. 
so some dogs will search until they till they find if they don't find anything they don't get a reward but that's a good thing um, and so um, and the and the, the dogs that do apprehension um, it's kind of a it's a process where we are using some of their instinctual abilities to catch prey is what it is and we just we change the and shape their uh, behavior to do something that we want. That police work is all about that with canines. We are shaping the behavior to benefit the goal that we're trying to reach. Now, talk a little bit about, and again, we all think of a German Shepherd or a Malinois, but, and, and then you talked about strict, you know, straight up detection dogs. Um, talk a little bit about bloodhounds. I think people are always fascinated. You see them in movies and very often, you see them in a movie about a prison and they're released to find a, a prisoner. Talk a little bit about what you can use a bloodhound for and how extraordinary these dogs are. Uh, bloodhounds are very extraordinary uh, in their ability to locate scent and follow it to a source. And all dogs are very good at that actually, because that is based upon their ability to find food, you know, instinctually and things like that. Um, bloodhounds are, are, I've never worked one, but one of the agencies uh, next to me had one and they always uh, thought that was what, that dog didn't ride in the car with them, but they had that dog somewhere and they would pick him up from some whoever's house he was, uh, the handler would be at and they would take him out and go. Now they can, dogs are interesting in general that they can, when they're tracking, they, they smell things that may have happened a week ago. So um, in a case that I'm working on right now, it has to do with the dog's ability to locate uh, odor, human odor, after that person is gone. And basically that this, their skin cells actually that fall off the body. And as long as they stay moist, they're there for quite a while. So the dog is able to find that person that's, that skin cell is unique to that person. What is the average um, work lifespan of a working police canine? How long can they work done? So on the detection dogs, like the Labradors and stuff, they could work very hard and, and have a long life. The, the, the patrol dogs are a little more rugged and they, the Labrador, I mean, the uh, Belgian Malinois and the German Shepherds, they might last, they might work, have a useful working life of maybe uh, six or seven years because they're asked to do a lot more uh, agility and uh, go into different places uh, and things like that where there's more distractions, more challenges, where the, the, not to say that the bomb dogs don't have challenges, but they're not asked to jump agilities and chase people and do things like that. So it's, right. it, it, can be, it can be quite a while for a lab. Uh, I worked at ATF for seven years training bomb dogs. So uh, the dogs there generally went till they were uh, eight, nine. And they have to be very athletic, right? Uh, a police dog. I mean, they have to train just like we have to train. And well, if you are a good handler, uh, you are keeping your dog on a diet to some degree. It's not, you know, um, in like in the, the um, government groups, they have vet people right there with them that prescribe a, this is how many cups of dog food this dog gets a day. That's it. 
out in the police world, it's not necessarily that way. So the idea that they can fill up as much as they want, you can tell in a dog right away when he's had too much to eat. He's, you know, he's gets just, it's just like us, you know. Just like people. Yep. <laughs> and so they have to be, it, it, they're like athletes. And if you want them to perform in the way that you train them, you have to keep them physically capable of doing that. Lastly, Don, what can, um, if someone's watching and their local police department doesn't have a canine, what's something that they can do to help start that program? Well, um, money is the, the big thing. Uh, and, what, and the cost, the initial cost is, can be quite spendy. Um, so what a lot of groups do way early on, they would form groups and they would gather money. They would do different things uh, to promote uh, of the possibility of a canine that named the dog and all these things. Now people and agencies, they are, we recommend that they have a foundation. And this foundation uh, is used to get uh, monies from at different functions or from citizens that wish to donate and then they present the money uh, to the department to to, uh, to buy the dog and the department buys the dog wherever they wish and I think there's a prescribed amount of money that's usually involved. Awesome well Don Slavik you've given us so much information and so much to think about. Um, where can people find your association? Um, it's at www.uspca.uspcacanine.com. Uh, awesome, Don. Thanks so much for spending time with us. And if you would like more information about the National Police Association, visit us at nationalpolice.org. Ma'am, put the gun down. Put the gun down. Last year, law enforcement officers were involved in hundreds of thousands of use of force incidents. A use of force incident is when an officer must use nonverbal tactics to gain control of a dangerous situation. Put the knife on the ground. In many cases, officers have no choice but to use force when a suspect doesn't comply with a lawful order. Use of force is always ugly. No one likes it, especially police officers. Together, we can help de-escalate these dangerous encounters. Help police officers by complying with their lawful orders. Don't attack, attempt to disarm, or flee from an officer. Use of force is an officer's last option. Most incidents can be avoided by not resisting arrest. If you feel you've been wrongfully detained by a police officer, then seek a legal solution after the encounter has been resolved. Let's keep everyone safe. Comply now and complain later.